Well, good morning. Uh, it is good to see you all. If you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the New Testament book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. We're taking a break from our series in First and Second Samuel, um, because today is a special Sunday, is the ordination of a pastor. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the chair in front of you, and Acts 20 will be found toward the back of the Bible page 929. If you're not super familiar with how the Bible works, the chapter numbers are the big numbers and the verse numbers are the little numbers. I'll be reading from verse 17 down to 35, right under the heading you can see there called Paul Speaks to the Ephesian Elders. Well, as I said, it is a special Sunday. Today we get the privilege of appointing a pastor. And uh, Paul told Titus, appoint elders in every town. And in the Bible, the word for elder and pastor is used interchangeably. And so today we appoint Matt Flora as pastor to Cornerstone Piqua. Matt has completed his elder candidacy. The members of Cornerstone have affirmed his qualifications for pastoral ministry. And today, uh, Pastor Brent and Steve and I will appoint him. I'm going to read verses uh, 17, Acts 20, verse 17, down to 35. We're going to consider a few things about the pastoral ministry drawn from this text. And then after that, we'll call all the children's ministries back in so they can participate with us. Matt and Tina will come up to the stage. Matt will take pastoral vows. We will pray with him, lay our hands on him and pray with him. And after that, uh, we will share a meal together. So if you're a member in the church, uh, one of the things that we'll do during his vows is you'll stand as well and you'll join us in taking vows with Matt. So you're all welcome to stick around afterwards, even if you weren't planning on sticking around, um, you're welcome to stick around. We'll have plenty of food for you. Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. I'm going to read the passage all the way to the verse 35, ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and then uh, we'll get to work in this passage. This is the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. And the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify 
to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Father, will you come and send your Holy Spirit to work through your word, to apply your word to us, your people, in order that we would be fashioned and molded into the image of your Son, and that you would take glory from the maturity and from the ministry of these, your precious people. Do this for Jesus' sake, we ask. Amen. Some years ago, I took a job uh, working in the metal roofing industry, and I left retail to take this job, so I knew absolutely nothing about construction in general, but more, more specifically, nothing in general about metal roofing. So my boss took a lot of time in training me. He explained how the roofing system worked. He explained how to install it. I took classes. We did on-site training. He watched. He had me watch him install the shingles, and then he had me install them while he watched. It was important to get the system right because, you know, it's roofing. And so if there's a leak, of course, it's going to damage the customer's home. And not only that, my boss also taught me ladder safety. He taught me how to properly wear a safety harness. He taught me that Chuck Taylors are not great shoes for roofing roofs. And I'm not sure I agree with him, but I did buy new shoes. Eventually, I learned how to do the job well enough that I could install it myself. I could oversee a job if needed. I could even train someone if needed. When God saves someone, He unites them to His Son, Jesus. And it's like starting a new job. You don't know much about following Jesus. You don't know much about being a Christian. You have a Bible, but you need help knowing how to read it. You need help knowing how to apply it to your life. And God, in His great kindness, doesn't leave you alone to figure it out. He gives you teachers, men and women, to come alongside you and to show you how to follow Jesus, how to overcome temptation, how to properly order your life, and how to deepen your joy in God. 
They show us ways we can get involved in the mission of God through the local church. We call this training discipleship. And the primary disciplers in our lives are our pastors. These are qualified men who teach the Bible, who pray for us, who show us how to follow Jesus, how to serve the local church, men who lovingly and gently correct us when we go wrong, men who are always in our life to offer encouragement to us, men who protect us from spiritual danger. Pastors equip us for the ministry of the gospel. Their goal is twofold. One, to help us follow Jesus, and two, to equip us to help someone else follow Jesus. Pastors are a gift from God for our good. Here's the main idea this morning. Pastors are a blessed gift of God to care for you, to protect you, and to help you grow in Christ-likeness. Receive them with gladness. Pastors are a gift from God to care for you, to protect you, and to help you grow in Christ-likeness. So receive them with gladness. We'll take this passage that we've just read in two parts. It's a rather simple outline. First, Paul's pastoral example in verses 17 to 27. And second, Paul's pastoral instruction in verses 18 to 35. So let's have a look at verses 17 down to verse 21 again. Here we read, Paul calling for the elders of Ephesus to come to him. When they came to him, he said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. First thing to notice here in verse 17, Paul calls for the elders of the church. As I mentioned earlier, elders always appear in the plural in the New Testament. This is elders, always plural. This drives our church's conviction to pursue a plurality of elders. I am a pastor, and so is Brent Phillips, and so is Stephen Minter, and so after today will be Matt Flora. My vote as a pastor counts just as much as their votes and no more. We share authority in the church. We believe a plurality of elders is good for the health of the church. So as these elders came to Paul, he's giving them his parting thoughts about leading and caring for the church of God in Ephesus. He starts by pointing to his own example. You see that in verse 18. You know how I lived among you. So so Paul was not the kind of leader who would bark commands from his office in the back. He was the kind of man who would go in front and lead by example. I suspect that he learned this from the Lord Jesus. Remember, the Lord Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We see this in the example of the Lord Jesus going before. He would do ministry, and then He would fold His disciples into that ministry, and He would share it with them. 
It was the same with my boss in roofing. He would fold me into the system, show me how it worked, and then give me the ability to do it myself. Paul told the Corinthian church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We're told in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Cornerstone, watch your pastors. Watch how they are with their wives and with their kids, with the members of their church. Watch how they are with newcomers. Watch how they are with their finances. Consider the outcome of their way of life. In, and in as much as they follow Christ, imitate their example. So Paul says, you know how I lived among you. Well, how did Paul live among them? He gives us four things, four examples in verses 19 to 21. One, Paul served the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials. Two, Paul talked about everything that was profitable to them. Three, Paul taught in public and in private from house to house. And four, Paul shared the gospel with everyone, Jews and Greeks. So we'll unpack each one of these four things very quickly. First, Paul's pastoral example was to serve the Lord with all humility, with tears and trials. God's leader is a humble man. Titus chapter 1 in the qualifications for pastor says he cannot be arrogant. A pastor must be humble. So what does it mean to be humble? Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 give an answer. Paul writes there, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility strikes at the very heart of what it means to be a pastor. We are called to follow the supreme example of Christ, who more than anyone else placed others above himself, who endured mistreatment, who endured sorrow, who endured rejection, who did ministry through tears, tears that were free of resentment, trials that were free from bitterness, difficulties free from cynicism. Dear Christian, here is evidence that your heavenly Father loves you. He has assigned to you men who, like Jesus before them, care more for your well-being than they do for their own. Oftentimes, more than you do for your own. Paul's pastoral example also included talking to the Ephesian members about everything that was profitable. We see this in verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. So if it was profitable for their spiritual well-being, Paul talked about it. Our Savior loves us so much that He'd appoint His very best men to care for our spiritual 
flourishing. Their sole job is to declare to us what is helpful, what advances our very best interests. Paul described his ministry to the Corinthians with these words, We work with you for your joy. Are you catching this? That God took hell-deserving sinners like us and saved us from the penalty of our sin and joined us to His Son and gifted to us men whose job it is to serve the increase of our spiritual joy. Some guys take a part-time job in order to have a little cash. These guys take a part-time job in order to advance your joy in the Lord. So when, in the days, weeks, and months, and years ahead, you see Matt Flora come up on your phone, lock this in your mind. This is a man God has chosen to serve my happiness in God. You got your mechanic, and they work on your car. You you got your doctor, and they work on your body. You got your trainer, and they work on your fitness. And Jesus has given you a pastor to work on your joy. Real talk. There are going to be times in your life where Pastor Matt got a call and he's going to have to tell you some things that you don't want to hear. Jamie, the what you're doing is not going to lead to joy. It's going to lead to suffering, potentially even death. And Dear friends, don't, for your own sake, leave him on red or send him to voicemail. For the same reason that you wouldn't send the doctor's office to voicemail when the doctor calls with the diagnosis, you're going to take that call and you're going to say, level with me, doc, tell it to me straight. What's wrong and what do we got to do to take care of it? You're not just gaining an elder in your church today. You're gaining another servant of your joy in Christ. Paul's third pastoral example was to teach in public and in private from house to house. God knows that our joy increases the more that we know Him. And so he has designed the pastoral ministry to be a teaching ministry. The pastor is a man of the word. Listen to this, brother. The Lord has given him wisdom to explain God's word and to apply it to your life for your good. Paul's fourth pastoral example was to teach not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. The Greeks. Paul would cross cultural and ethnic boundaries with the universal truth of salvation by grace 
through faith. And Paul was a Jew, grew up as a Jew his whole life. It would have been easy for the Greeks to say, well, you're a Jew. You didn't grow up a Greek. You don't know me. You don't know my culture. You don't know my background. But Paul was bold, believing that repentance and faith was called upon all people. And he would offer the gospel to everyone. Elsewhere, Paul would write, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Paul understood the good news of God's grace through Jesus Christ was available to all. And so Paul preached repentance and faith to everyone. To repent means to turn away from one thing in pursuit of another. Faith means trusting, dependence upon God. And Jesus Christ, God from God, became man and lived a perfect life of obedience to God. Offered His own life on the cross as a payment for the penalty which was incurred from your sin and mine. He died and they laid Him in a tomb, but God raised Him from the dead just like the song we've just sung. And His resurrection ensured that the debt for sin has been paid and eternal life is guaranteed to all who turn to Him in faith. This good news, it's available to everyone, literally everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Jews, Greeks, Americans, Ohioans, Pickwads, all of us, anyone can get in on this. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, If you turn to the Lord, repenting of your sins and trusting in Him, you will receive forgiveness of sins and be given a new life in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about that, just grab the hand of somebody who looks like a a regular around here. And I know all of them would be happy to give you some resources and help you in this new life following Jesus. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 22. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, Paul said, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul's pastoral example was a wholesale submission to the Spirit's leading, even if it meant the high likelihood of great suffering. And if you know your Bible, you know Paul's life included a great amount of suffering. He was stoned with rocks. He was whipped with whips and beaten with rods and shipwrecked on ships. I'm not sure you can be shipwrecked any other way, but he was shipwrecked on ships. He was, danger, he was in danger all of the time. He was hated by his own people. He suffered greatly at the hands of those outside the church. But you know the greatest pains that Paul endured in his ministry didn't come from outside the church. It came from inside the church. 
throughout his ministry, the great Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest Christian to have ever lived, was rejected by, falsely accused by, misrepresented by the very ones he gave his life to serve. The hardest part of Paul's ministry was the constant concern for the well-being of his churches. We see here that the Spirit of God is leading Paul to Jerusalem. And he knew that prison, affliction awaited him there. But he's constrained by the Spirit to go anyway. And why? What would drive this man to almost certain imprisonment? Almost certain affliction? Well, it was a commitment to finish his course and the ministry that he received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I didn't account my life as having any value. It's not precious to myself. What matters to me is preaching the gospel. Brother, follow Paul in this. The Lord may will afflictions, hardships, setbacks, frustrations, sleepless nights, false accusations. Count your life as having no value, not precious to yourself. And do not measure the success of your ministry by the metrics of man's praise, by people's affirmation, or even by the fruitfulness of your labors. Measure your success, dear brother, by one metric alone. Have you testified to the gospel of the grace of God? And by doing this, you will serve us well. It is likely the Lord will use your ministry to soften our hearts and to bring His people to repent of their sins. But at times, the Lord may use your ministry to harden hearts in their rebellion against Him. Leave the results to the Spirit of God. Your job is to faithfully preach the gospel in season and out of season. Rest in the joyful confidence of His Word working through His Spirit upon His people. And one day soon, you will meet your Master on that sandy shore of eternity. And may it be with a clear conscience, innocent of the blood of all, because you did not shrink from declaring to us the whole counsel of God. In verse 28, Paul moves from pastoral example into pastoral instruction. Let's read verse 28 to 31 again. Pay careful attention, Paul says, to yourselves, to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men twisting, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Matthew, there are two imperatives in these four 
verses. Pay careful attention to yourself, to the flock, and be alert. The Apostle Paul is calling the Ephesian elders to alertness, to attention. And he employs a metaphor from the shepherding world. Pastors are like shepherds. The church is like a flock. In verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And this is another reason why we believe in a plurality of elders. I need my brother pastors to pay attention to me. They do this for my good and for your good. Just Wednesday, one of your pastors called me to account on the phone, wanted to know my schedule. I've been taking meetings and classes, and he wanted to make sure that I was spending enough time at home with my family. He was shepherding me, and I felt very loved by him. We start every one of our elders' meetings with a check-in. And it's, it's changed over the years. Recently, it's become more pointed. We ask questions of one another, like, how, how's your time in the Word? How's your time in prayer? How's your marriage? How are your finances? Are you discouraged in any way? Are you looking at things that you ought not to be looking at? Do you feel resentment in your heart? Are you having doubts in your heart? Do you have fears in your heart? And the expectation is that we would be honest with one another. Because while we take seriously the warning of Hebrews 3 about the deceitfulness of sin, that if sin goes unchecked, if sin goes excused, sin hardens hearts. You know, it's not just you that's gaining a pastor here today. I am too. This man is my pastor. I'm a shepherd, but I'm also a sheep. And the apostolic expectation is that pastors pay attention to one another and they pay careful attention to all the flock. Your pastor is pastoring you well when he's paying careful attention to you. If you're a member here or if you're a regular attender here, you should know that your name comes up at every meeting of the elders. We have a list. Your name is on it. And at every meeting, we talk through that list. How can we pray for this person? How are they doing? How might we serve them better? And, and that may make some of you uncomfortable. I get that. We're all proud Americans here, self-made Americans. We prefer privacy fences to front porches. Some of you hide from uninvited guests who show up at your house. Some of you are practicing stay-at-home orders before it was a mandate. And the idea of some guy in your church paying attention to your soul feels like an invasion of privacy. I get that. You're just going to have to take that complaint up with Paul <laughs> because we're going to care for your soul. We have selfish reasons for that. Back in Hebrews 13, there's another verse. It goes like this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, 
for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The Bible says that your pastors are keeping watch over your souls. So yeah, we have a selfish reason for paying attention to you. Because one day we are going to have to give an account for you. The Lord Jesus has given the care of your soul into the hands of these men. A soul which he purchased with his own blood. So think about it. If, if you had a wealthy friend who let you borrow her Rolls Royce for the weekend, and you knew that she spent, I don't know, what's a Rolls Royce cost? $300,000? She, she spent $300,000 on this car. How might you take care of that $300,000 car? And your pastors have been charged with the care of the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood? Yeah, we're going to be interested in your soul because we know how much God paid to save it. We know how precious you are to him. There's another reason pastors pay careful attention to their church. Verse 29 warns of wolves. Men who would come and speak twisted things and draw disciples away from the Lord Jesus, away from the church of God, away from their pastors. Part of Matt's calling as a worker for our joy will be to protect us from wolves. And here's the thing about wolves. They're not like dogs. Dogs are dumb. Dogs come running in, barking. You know exactly what it is. That's a dog. That's not how wolves hunt. Wolves track the pack. They assess the pack. And when they disrupt the pack, it's because they're looking for the weak in the pack. And they separate the weak from the pack. And they attack. Can a sheep survive grazing on its own? Sure it can, for a time. But without the safety of a flock and shepherds, that sheep is exposed and won't last very long. Just last week was another tragic reminder of how even men of great intellect who know a lot about the Bible need the protection of the local church and of pastors. And Matthew, this is your imperative to be alert to the dangers facing us. Because many of us are willfully ignorant of the dangers facing us. We purposefully downplay the deceitfulness of sin in our life and the ferocity of our enemy. Don't be afraid to admonish us, even with tears. Or 2 Timothy 4.2 says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Emma, if you can go get the kids, please, and bring that back in.
Let's finish out. Verse 32 to the end. Paul continues to admonish the Ephesian elders by saying, And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Matthew, I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. The gospel is not only the medicine you use, it's also the medicine you use. Drink deeply from this fountain. When you're feeling discouraged, when you've admonished day and night in tears and there's seemingly no effect, remember the grace of God and the word of His grace will build you up and bring you to the finish line. Some years ago, I remember you preaching a sermon about a, a marathoner and his son. And his son was unable to run on his own. And so his father would push him 26 point whatever miles to the finish line. God has entrusted that ministry in a similar way to us. Push Admonish with tears. And we'll meet you at the finish line. Brother, live in your Bible. Believe the power of the gospel to save and to sanctify. Lean on your Savior. Listen to your wife. Love your family. Work hard. Rest well. Serve in the strength God supplies. Spend and be spent for our souls. And know with unshakable confidence that when you close your eyes for the last time on this earth, there is laid up for you a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward you on that day. And like Paul, your reward will not be silver or gold or apparel. It will be the voice of your heavenly Father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Pastors are a blessed gift from God to care for us, to protect us, and to help us grow in Christ-likeness. Your pastors are visible proof that your God is for you. Workers for your joy. And may we receive them with gladness. And that's just what we're going to do now. Matt and Tina, if you will come to the stage, Pastor Brent, Pastor Steve. Got too much stuff up here. Okay. Um, we're going to have his pastoral ordination vows, and as Jamie said, 
um, later you'll you'll stand. The vows is two part. One that Matt's vows to God and to the congregation, God's people, and also the vows from the congregation to Matt. I was also thinking that I love going to weddings because you hear the vows at a wedding and of course I'm sitting with Jane and as they say those vows I think you know renewing my vows to my wife and I've been the the, the first elder here and as you know I just came off sabbatical and listening to this sermon renews my vows as an elder so thank you for that and also thank you Matt for wanting to serve God's people willing to pour your life out thank you to Tina for sharing him with us because um, being an elder puts responsibility on the wives and the family too so thank you and um, so I'm going to read these vows. He's going to respond, and then I'll have some vows for the congregation. Matt, do you reaffirm your faith in Christ Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Matt, do you believe the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Matt, do you sincerely believe the statement of faith, as well as the book of faith and order of this church, contain the truth taught in the Holy Scriptures? Matt, do you promise that if any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make it known to your fellow elders the change in which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow. Matt, do you approve of the form of government and discipline of Cornerstone Piqua? Yes. Matt, do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? Matt, do you accept the office of elder in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? Matt, have you been induced, as far as you know, by your own heart to accept the office of elder from the love of God and a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Yes. Matt, do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church, whoever, whatever opposition or persecution may arise to you on that account. I do. And finally, Matt, 
Are you now willing to take the personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder to oversee the ministry and resources of the church, to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God, such that Cornerstone Piqua and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. Congregation, will you please stand with me? This is your vow as the church to Matt, as he had his vows to you. Cornerstone, do you acknowledge and publicly receive this man, Matt Flora, as your pastor, as the Lord's gift to his church? Cornerstone, will you love him, pray for his Pray for him and his ministry. Will you pray for his marriage, his wife, and his children? If so, please say we will. And finally, Cornerstone. Will you work together with him humbly and cheerfully that the mission of God may be accomplished through us? Will you give him the due honor and support in leading you to glorify God in your life? If so, please say we will. Matthew, it's my great honor to say now that I can pronounce and declare that Matt Flora has been ordained and installed as a pastor of Cornerstone Piqua.